perhaps a sunny, warm morning overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Hear his words. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Morning, church. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this morning and the beauty of it. Thanks for spring and for birds singing and sun rising early and beautiful days like today. And Father, thank you for your word that not only nourishes us and feeds us, but guides us. It's our lamp. It's a light. It's our authority. And Lord, we want to trust your word more than even our own instincts, but only your spirit and your grace can do that. And so we pray today that would be the case, that you would reach down and minister to us in a rich and real way. We love you. Give us attentive hearts in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Awesome. Grab your Bible study notes, please, your message notes. We are looking at the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, a little section called the Beatitudes, where Jesus gives eight different qualities of those who would be blessed. Now, while Jesus is addressing everybody, we are imposing or over, uh, arch, putting this over homes and asking the question, what are the building blocks, what's the blueprint of a blessed Home, regardless of what's in the home, roommates or families or grandparents or generations, what does it mean to be a blessed home? And a key thought that we've been going through, you can see it on the bottom of page one for the whole series, is this. We're not just a Christian home. We're a Christ-centered home. You may wonder, well, what's the difference? Uh, 80% of the homes in America identify as Christian. And what that means, I think, for many of them is, well, I'm not Jewish, I'm not Muslim, I'm not Hindu, I'm, I, I must be Christian, I'm American, right? Or I'm Christian when it's convenient. Um, I go to church twice a year, I go to a, a Christian church, uh, and I'm not saying anything negative about that, I've got convictions about that, but a Christ-centered home, in Christ-centered home, uh, what we see is our values are different. The way we treat each other is different. The way we treat our neighbors is different in a Christ-centered home. The way we uh, steward our resources is different. In a Christ-centered home, Jesus isn't just part of our life. He is our life. And there's a difference. We're not saying uh, that comes about through hard effort and try harder. That comes about through the grace of Christ and us continuing to surrender to the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, Now, so we're ready for some fun. Our key thought for today in this series is this. If you're a Christ-centered home... You ready? You will be persecuted. (laughs) Last night, every night, I take my 13-year-old dog out to go to the bathroom before she goes to bed. And uh, I was out, and my neighbor across the street is a wonderful man there at Christ-centered home, and he's always reading on his porch. And so I said, hey, how you doing? He said, good, I'm doing good. And he said, what are you preaching on tomorrow? I said, oh, blessed are the persecuted. Silence. (laughs) Because people actually come to hear that. I'm like, well, it's a teaching of Jesus, right? But friends, if we endeavor to be Christ-centered, we need to be prepared. And if we have kids, 
we certainly need to prepare them that if they're going to live for Jesus, there will be pushback at some point in their lives. Now look, I want to be very clear. I'm not trying to set up a fortress mentality or a judgment mentality. It's us against the world. I want you to hear this next statement very clearly. God's church, we believe at PCC, is not a fortress from the world. It's a force for good in the world. I'm going to say that again. It's really good. The church of Jesus Christ is not a fortress where we sequester ourselves from the world. It's a force for good in the world. It, excuse me, it always has been, always has been. And when the world is pushed back, and when the world is beaten, and when the world is maimed, and when the world is killed, that force for good didn't stop moving into the world. The church has never grown when it's retreated. The church has always grown when it's humbly, beautifully advanced in loving ways. That's who we are at PCC, and that will never change, right? It's what we want to strive for. So that having said, having said that, living for Jesus, you're going to get pushback. You're going to get outright persecution at times. And this sermon, this message is designed to help us all in that. I remember in 2000, we moved into a new neighborhood in Redwood City in the Mount Carmel area. And there was a block party going on for like a four-block radius of where we were living. I was on a curb talking to a man. I'll call him Bob. He and I are actually very good friends now, even though he's moved to San Diego. And Bob, along with his wife, worked in tech and lived in one of the best streets of Redwood City. Uh, great street. He didn't know me, and he had a little too much to drink as the block party was going on. And he was going off. And men kind of do this. I can't speak from a woman's perspective, but they kind of like let themselves know how successful and how busy they are and how many business trips they go on, what happens on those business trips, how many award trips they've gotten for their sales. All that was coming my way. And even as he was telling me these things and didn't know me, I was cringing going, oh, buddy, don't, 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 don't. Just stop while you're ahead. Because I know where this conversation's going. And at some point, you're going to ask me what I do. And it's going to get really awkward. But he went on. And when he found out that we recently moved into the neighborhood, he literally said, oh, welcome to the neighborhood. I don't know if you've heard, but Jim and Tammy Faye Baker moved into the neighborhood. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, some pastor moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> it's going to ruin the whole thing. This block party's probably going to be ruined. I cringed some more. We continued to talk, and eventually he said, what do you do? I smiled, and I put out my hand, and I said, I'm Pastor Gadini, but you can call me Jim Baker. I'm the guy you were talking about. He literally spit out his beer. And literally said this, I, I, I've never met a real pastor before. What do you do all week? Now listen, if you endeavor to live a Christ-centered life, some will respect you for it. Some will be tolerant and give off a that's nice for you vibe. But others will be outright hostile for various reasons we'll explore this morning. Peter read the beatitude, but I just want to point out for us that word persecuted. Let me build it out. I put it in a text box on the top of page one. The word literally means to pursue, to drive and chase away, to harass, to treat with evil intent. Uh, but here's the nuance of the word in the original language. There's an attitude of the persecuted. This is really important. 
of willingness to receive it. There's an attitude of almost submissiveness to the persecution. Much like our Savior had on the cross when he was being crucified and didn't lash out, but said, Father, forgive, for, I can't even imagine this, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Blessed are the persecuted. It's a mindset indicating a permissiveness. It could literally read, blessed are those who've allowed themselves to be continually persecuted. That's what Jesus was getting across. The idea is that they have a willingness to endure. They don't run. They're willing. Is that clear in here? Okay, very important, right? So you may say, well, obviously, Gary, of course you're going to get persecuted. You're a pastor. That's what we pay you for. Oh, no, but the reality is you don't need to be a pastor to face pushback. And our reading that we'll see today in our Bible is if you want to live a godly life, if you want to live a Christ-centered life, you're going to get pushback. You're going to get persecuted. Every week we've been taking a passage of Scripture and reading it. They've been putting it in the home version for a Christ-centered home or passage. You can see on page 1 is 1 Peter 4, 16. I'll build out the context a little later in the message about 1 Peter. But he says, however, if, and there's two ways to read if from the Greek language. Uh, if, and it may or may not happen. And then if, and it will happen. That's the sense Peter uses this if. So you could actually, if you want, cross out if and write since. More accurate. Therefore, since you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Praise God that you bear that name. The home edition. However, since you suffer as a Christ-centered home, how would we suffer as Christ-centered home? We'll build that out in the message. Don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. What does that mean? How did we suffer? We have teenagers right now in our ministry suffering, if I can put it in that way, as they come back from Mexico, and they've made convictions on the mission trip in Mexico, I am going to honor God with my body. And they're suffering through all their peers pushing back and going, what has happened to you? Why don't you party with us anymore? You're kidding me. You're saving yourself for marriage, and they mock them on the teenage campus. We have kids coming back from Mexico who are leading the charge in this church in a strategy we call invest and invite. Our teenagers are the best investors and inviters in this whole church. And their friends are mocking them for it because they're loving their friends enough to invite them to come to church with them. Blessed are you when they persecute you because of righteousness. We have parents in this church who show up at parties to pull their kids out of high school parties when they hear there's alcohol at the parties, and the other parents in their peer group mock them. Because after all, kids will be kids. Why would you pull your kid out of a party where there's alcohol? Blessed are you when they persecute you because of righteousness. We have women and men in this church who are mocked at their company because of the old car they drive or the small apartment they live in because they're fanatical when it comes to debt-free living and funding God's kingdom instead of funding their own. Blessed are you when they persecute you because of righteousness. I can go on and on, but it raises the question. Here's the bulk of the sermon, page 2 and 3. How do we prepare for pushback 
and persecution. How do we do that? Here we go. Page two. Here's a specific strategy. First, expect it. Don't be alarmed. Don't look around like, what's happening? Expect it. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Some of the last words the Apostle Paul ever wrote. In fact, he says, everyone. Now, let me just ask, who in this room is not in that everyone? Anyone want to testify? That doesn't count for me. Okay, just checking. Me too. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life or a Christ-centered life or endeavor to have a Christ-centered home in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Again, if you endeavor towards Christ-centeredness, expect to be left out. Expect to be excluded. Expect to be harassed, annoyed, socially ostracized, bullied. In other words, expect it. And my goodness, let me just be very sensitive here. 2016 was the most dangerous year ever to be a follower of Christ around the world. More Christians were killed in 2016 for their faith than the previous 2015 years combined. By far, Christians are the most persecuted people group on the planet. And so I have to talk very sensitively when I talk about like, oh, I got left out. Oh, I got unfriended on Facebook. Oh, I got mocked and call that persecution. It's very real for us, but in light of the world, in light of our church history, it's really hard to walk and call this persecution, right? Do you get what I'm saying? I don't say that to to heap guilt on us, but to put what we're facing in light of a global context. My advice for parents is this, build out the reality for your kids or grandkids that living in a post-Christian culture, pushback comes with the territory. We tell our kids in our home to remind them, like, look, our family follows, and here's a key word, a different set of values. We follow a different set of values. It's not that we're better than or worse than. We're different. And different is okay. Different isn't bad, we tell them. It's just different. And so you can expect you're not going to be doing the things your friends do because we're different. Very important. Get used to it. Then it goes on. Not only expect it, by the way, do you? I don't know if you look ahead. We always put what we're going to be preaching on. And did you think when you saw a bust of the persecuted, wow, I expect to be persecuted this week. I expect pushback for my faith. I expect to live so differently that not everyone's going to applaud. Not everyone's going to cheer me on. Not everyone's going to say, go for it, especially our spiritual enemy. He is not going to sit back and go, go ahead and take ground that I want. Of course he's going to push back through people very often. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 13, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, as a matter of fact, right after the passage that Peter read, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled down. Listen, different is good, and we're only good for the world as we maintain our distinctiveness in Christ. Say that again. We're only good for the world as we remain salty and cling to our distinctiveness in Christ. Our ethic is a radical ethic of love, yes, but in other areas too that's so different from the world, we will be a walking, living, breathing conviction 
to the world. And of course they're going to stand up and push back. Because we're getting close to a wound in their life and reminding them of who they need to be. Then endure it. Endure it. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12 says this. When we're cursed, we curse back. Is that what it says? I'm sorry, that, that's talk radio. No, we bless. We bless. This is so important for followers of Christ. Listen, we, we protest, but we do so lovingly. We stand against, but we do so humbly. And we bless those we protest against. We look to serve those who don't align with us. When we're persecuted, we endure it. What don't we do? We don't lash out. We don't whine. We don't fight back. We certainly don't sequester. We've already made that point and fortress ourselves. You don't get alarmed when our friends unfriend us on social media. I just put in a text box on the top of page two just some things that endure means. Be patient with it. When someone makes fun of you because your values, take it like a woman of God. Take it like a man of God. Endure it. That's what Jesus did. Ask Jesus to give you the strength to endure it. Be patient. And then love in return. Respond in grace, kindness, Christ-like character, like our Savior did on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Here's what happens when we endure. Something amazing takes place. The roots of Christ grow deep in you. Your faith grows when you endure in the midst of opposition. And your convictions are solidified. You're living for the right thing. Uh, when I was in seminary, before I, right before I came here in 1997, I lived, get this, I was in seminary. I lived on Evolution Avenue in seminary and um, off campus. And we were in Chicago, and it was my last week there. And I thought, what can I leave my neighbors? And so I had purchased the Jesus film for all my neighbors. And I wrote them. We had a great relationship with our neighbors, most of them. And I wrote them and said, you know, we're leaving. We've been here three years on this block, and it's our gift to you to say thank you. We want to leave this uh, true-to-life account of Jesus. It would mean the world to me if you'd watch it. And if I can answer any questions, we just want you to know we've been good neighbors, and you may appreciate us, but the secret to us is Jesus. And so as I was getting ready to go and give out the Jesus film door-to-door, -door, Hannah, who was five at the time, says, Dad, can I go with you? And it just meant a lot to me that she would want to do that. So we got her red wagon, her radio flyer wagon. She sat in it. We put the Jesus films. And we just went block to block. And there was one house that we went to, and Hannah said, Dad, can I, can I give the Jesus film to this house? I said, sure, sure. And so she came up five years old, Midwest America, Chicago north suburbs, Highland Park. She knocks on the door, and this man, gruff man, answers, probably 45. He says, what? She says, sir. My name's Hannah Gadini. My daddy wrote you about the Jesus. And the minute she said Jesus, don't talk to me about blankety to a five-year-old. Jesus. And he slams the door in her face. Now I'm back there just going, what? And she walks back to me and there's just silence. Because in my mind are carnal thoughts. Not, not bless thoughts. <laughs> thoughts of what I can do. I won't even tell you. But God used my five-year-old daughter to both rebuke me and break the silence when she said, Daddy, we need to pray for this house. A little what I know, I was thinking about this this morning. 20 years later, Hannah's 25 now, and God has taken that girl all over the world in some very hostile places 
where it's very dangerous to be a Christian. Little did I know that that five-year-old experience would mark her and prepare her, let alone her dad, for what it meant to live for Christ. We endure it, friends. And then lastly, we embrace it. We embrace it. This goes a little bit farther than endure. This is where you thank God that in some small way you get to share in the sufferings of Jesus. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. Who does not want that? I want that. Oh, wait, but Paul says, wait, that's not all about Christ. He goes on, Philippians 3.10, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Most of us go, well, I want to know Christ, but not that part. This is the embrace part. You thank God you're unfriended. You thank God you're pushed back on. You thank God doors are slammed in your face. And you say, Jesus, thank you that I can identify just a little bit more with your suffering. Look what Peter wrote to a group of Christians who were facing unbelievable persecution under an emperor named Nero. Like being tarred and lit on fire and being the backyard tiki torches for his celebrations. Like being the, uh, the sport as they had animal skin on them in the Colosseum in Rome and having lions pursue them and eat them alive in front of 50, 60, 100,000 people cheering them on. Peter wrote this to those Christians. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come on you to test you as if something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. I got to tell you, that is not my default. I need God's grace to make that my default. My default is to think carnal thoughts when doors are slammed in the face of my daughter. Paul says, no, I want you to be so much like Christ, and God's grace will give it to you, that you rejoice when you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. However, if you, and there's that if again, that is if and it will happen. In the Greek language. So since, since you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So I say to students, when your friends make fun of you at lunch because you're praying and thanking God for your bologna sandwich in the cafeteria before you're about to eat it, praise God that you bear that name. And when your colleagues on the business trip are heading to the bootylicious bunny barn or whatever, and you say, no thanks, I'm going to remain true to my wife, and they mock you, thank God for the mockery. Or when, like my wife experienced with Bob, that opening illustration, we built a relationship, a year and a half later we're in their home for a Halloween party, and she's inebriated, Bob's wife, and she corners my wife in an inebriated state, it says, blank you, Ann Gadini, you blankety blank, Jesus freaking just went nuts on her. And Ann comes back, she says, we got to leave, we got to leave, we got to leave. I'm like, what's wrong? She goes, come on, we got to leave. We praise God when people yell at us. Let the sting and the pain be an offering of worship to God for identifying a little bit more closely with what Jesus went through. Thank you, God, that we get to live for you. Listen, you, some of you right now feel like you're doing something wrong because you have opposition all around you. I remember that feeling. I remember coming to Christ 
And I remember my parents thought I was in a cult. Neighbors were crying, saying, what happened to you? All this thing. I just said, God, I thought people would be excited. I'm not abusing substance. I'm not destroying relationships. I'm trying to walk with integrity. My GPA jumped one whole grade point. Why isn't everyone excited? Listen, may I remind you that things may be going wrong, not because you're doing something wrong. Maybe you are. You've got to evaluate that. Perhaps things are going wrong because you're doing something right. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. I've got three more sentences before I pray, and I want you to listen to them very closely. Don't ever worry when your name or your home is being persecuted for righteousness. If you are a Christ-centered family, if you endeavor to have a Christ-centered life, You will be persecuted. Don't ever worry when there's pushback. Worry when there's not. Because if you're not being persecuted at all, if there's no pushback at all, and I'm going to say this as sensitively and lovingly as I can, I just look in the mirror sometimes and go, maybe that's the most accurate metric and barometer that my life is blending in a little too much. It may be an indicator in my life, and I just offer it to you, that I'm settling for having a Christian life as opposed to a Christ-centered life. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Father, none of us willingly run to this. None of us want and invite this. All of us need grace to stand before you, completely loved by you, and hold our lives before you. Give us, Lord, the strength, the eternal perspective, the joy to have an attitude of living for you, of being a force for good for Jesus in our culture, in a loving, humbling way like your son did. And then, Lord, when the pushback comes, and it will come, Pray, Lord, you give us the grace to endure it and to bless people who persecute us. For we pray this in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. You've been listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.